Welcome everyone. Rather full house this morning. I'm glad you're all here, um, especially on what's another very beautiful day in central Pennsylvania. And I find that it's so important, especially now, to take time to be together in stillness and in silence. Most of you know I work downtown these days, and with all of the students back, it was very busy, very active, a little bit different than the environment in this endo. This morning's talk continues our recent series where we're exploring the Heart Sutra together. I'm almost tempted to call it a mini-series, because I think it'll be coming to a close in the next couple of weeks. And coming to a close because, to pick up on something that Roshi said last week, we're just dipping our toes in to this teaching, dipping our toes into some of the deeper teachings. And maybe you don't want to leave your toes in for too long, or they'll get wrinkled. Thank you for laughing. That was supposed to be a joke. And I never know if it's going to land. So now I have confidence. And that's a wonderful thing. But I found myself over this past week wondering just what it means to say that the Heart Sutra and other teachings that are part of the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras are deeper teachings. Um, I guess you could say by saying they're deeper, they're a bit more subtle, or they're a little more mysterious, but none of that really helps me understand what it means to say that they're deeper teachings. So I thought I would start this morning by offering a suggestion as to what this might mean. And my suggestion has to do with our orientation in practice, to practice, and in the world, generally. It's been my experience that when many people <clears throat> come to meditation, come to Buddhism, come to Zen for the first time, maybe even for the first few years, their orientation towards it is largely centered on themselves. I'm interested in meditation because there's something about myself that I want to fix or work on. I'm stressed. I'd like to not be stressed. I'm anxious. I'd like to not be anxious. And if that's where you are, I want to tell you that that's okay. That's just fine. We all start there. And in fact, I started there. About a month ago, I gave a talk about when I first came to practice, and if you remember that talk, I hope you don't, it was very sad because I said, look, here's where I was at the time, 10-ish years ago. I was lonely, and I was angry, and I was frustrated, and I was disappointed, and I was irritable, and I was, I could go on. <laughs> and I wanted to not be any of those things. And for some reason, I thought, a statue of an individual sitting with their legs folded into a pretzel might be helpful to me. 
But then something started to shift. My orientation towards practice and my orientation towards life in general didn't cease to be about me, but it wasn't exclusively about me. There started to be more and more space for others. And so what I want to suggest this morning before I talk about a section of the sutra that we read during service is that if you want to be able to understand these teachings, these so-called deeper teachings, making some space for all beings to be part of how you approach practice and how you approach life might be helpful, might be helpful. When it's just centered on you, there's a tendency for it to be transactional. I'm going to put so much effort into practice just in case I get some things out of it. And if I don't, then I'm thinking, maybe I'll go elsewhere. If I don't see a quick enough return on my investment. But if it's not just about you all of the time, then maybe there can be a willingness to keep going, even when it's frustrating, even when it's tough even when the doshi in the middle of your morning, morning sitting yells, wake up. Because he notices that many of you are starting to fall asleep. And he wants you to be here. Not off in la-la land. An orientation towards practice that's centered on the self and a transactional one at that, I'm inclined to think, is born from a feeling that you're somehow separate from all that is when you're not. That you're somehow lacking or missing something that you already, in fact, have. You just can't see it yet. And as a way of helping you approach seeing that, understanding that, not in an intellectual way, but in a way that we sometimes say penetrates your skins, muscles, bones, and sinews, I want to talk about the following lines from the Heart Sutra this morning. Know then, form here is only emptiness. Emptiness only form. Form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. Feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness itself are the same as this. There are six things mentioned in these lines. One of them is emptiness, and we've talked a lot about emptiness over the past couple of weeks. But there are five others, and that's kind of what I want to focus on today. There's form, there's feeling, there's perception, there's what's sometimes called mental formations. It's a rather cumbersome label, too many letters. And then there's consciousness. These five things are what we sometimes call the five skandhas. Skandhas is a Sanskrit word that often gets translated into English as aggregates. That's okay, but the word means 
tree trunk or pillar. It's a kind of foundation on which things rest and depend on. So you could think of these five things, form, feeling, perceptions, formations, and consciousness, as the five trunks for all things that are. They're really more like, it seems to me, labels for categories of things that make up everything you see around you, including you. And because to talk about this in the abstract really isn't helpful, we're going to talk about it in a particular way. And we're going to focus on what we know best. This skin bag right here. Right. We say we're a flesh and blood Buddha, not a stone Buddha. So we're going to talk about the flesh and blood that we are. And we begin with form. Right. Called rupa in Sanskrit. It refers to sometimes things that are physical, sometimes things that are corporeal. I like to think of it as it refers to things that have extension, things that are extended in space, like your skin, like your bones, like your muscles, like your sinews. This is an aggregate of things that makes a part of what it is that you are. And that's not the only way of looking at the kind of physical or corporeal or being extended in space that you are. You can look at it from different ways. Look at this macroscopic level. I guess I have fingers. That's also part of this bundle or aggregate that I am. But we could talk about it in terms of cells. My skins and organs and bones are made up of various kinds of cells that when they come together in a certain way make this kind of thing that sits in many layers of fabric. A chemist would talk about the kind of thing that I am differently. I'm a makeup of various chemical compounds. And a physicist still differently, they might appeal to atomic particles or subatomic particles or things even farther down, question mark, than that. Waves come into the picture at some point. I don't know more than this, so I'm just going to stop talking about it. But the point is that part of what you are is a physical being, and there are various ways of looking at the kinds of parts that make you up as a physical being. But you're not just a physical being. You're not a rock, for example. You also have the ability to perceive the world around you. Part of your physical being is such that you have certain sense organs, like eyes, because of which you can see color. A nose, because of which you can experience odors, a tongue, flavors, ears, a sound. Touch, you can experience the roughness or the smoothness of various surfaces around you. Because you have these perceptual experiences, there seems to be something else that comes along with it. This is the third category, the category of feeling. We tend to use this word in something of a loose way. But in the teachings, it has a pretty restricted use. Pleasure, pain, indifference kind of a neutral feeling. 
it's the source of, or at least a major contributor to the way in which we evaluate the world around us. I have two cats, you know this. You can hear them sometimes. They're very unhappy that they're not up here. And sometimes the way in which my cats express their displeasure that I leave the living space is they use the litter box at times that I don't welcome, like at 4.30 in the morning. And when they use the litter box at 4.30 in the morning, sometimes I roll over and you know what it is that I smell through my nose? You all know, I don't need to say it. It doesn't smell very good. Right? Here I am, this physical being. I have certain perceptual faculties. I smell this odor. And what feeling do you suppose arises when I smell this odor? Pain. Pain under a certain description. It's more like repulsion or revulsion. What am I feeding you guys? And it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm trying to sleep. Could you do it elsewhere? They can, but it turns out only if I move the litter box. And so you know what I did after a year? I finally moved the litter box. <laughs> I'm not exactly a fast learner. You should recognize that. But that's how I evaluate that experience. It's painful to me, so I'm averse to it, and I don't want it. And it's at this point in talking about that the kind of creature that I am and the kind of creature or being that you are, that this fourth category or this fourth skanda, this fourth trunk, this fourth pillar of the things that are comes into play. Mental formations has many names. Sometimes it's called impulses. Sometimes it's called volitions, but those all seem too limiting. Mental formations is meant to capture the richness of our mental life, which includes what? Your motivations for doing certain things, the stories you tell about things that you do and other things that people do. It includes your emotions, these responses based on judgments you make about how it is that someone is or isn't. There's a lot going on in this category, and so it's hard to find just one name for it that seems to capture everything and doesn't leave anything out. But I smell this odor from my cats. It's a painful smell, and now I have an aversion to them. I also have a desire to move their litter boxes, and I have a desire to tell a story about how inconsiderate my cats are for doing this at 4.30 in the morning when I have to wake up and go to work. And the best part about this, or maybe the worst part, depending on your point of view, is I'm aware of all of this. It's not just happening, but somehow I don't know that it's happening. And this, we say, is me being conscious of it. And this is the last skanda. Right? It's an awareness of how it is that my physical form is. I have an awareness of my feelings in response to certain stimuli in my environment. I have an awareness of my perceptual experiences. 
And I have an awareness sometimes of the stories I tell myself about all these things that sometimes leave me feeling stuck and other times leave me feeling liberated. This, in a nutshell, is what you are. Your various bundles or aggregates of things in these five categories. So the teachings say, and I encourage you to not take my word for it, but to investigate for yourself whether or not you can find anything in addition to what it is that I briefly talked about to these five categories that makes you the kind of thing that you are. Because you are a bundle or an aggregate of these five categories, we say that you are empty. We say that you are empty because nothing that falls into these categories is stable, is enduring, is not subject to change, is not dependent on anything else for its existence, and is in itself a bundle. Right? Your perceptions come and go. It was quite cool in the meditation hall this morning. It's not so cool anymore with the lights on and all these people in here. It's a different perceptual experience I have now seeing all of you, feeling the sweat against my skin, feeling the heat from the lights. Colors are different. Sounds are different. I woke up this morning with a great deal of back pain. It seems to be receding. I won't call it pleasure, but at least it's not piercing. It's kind of a neutral feeling at this point. And my awareness of each of these other things only lasts so long as they're there, right? I can't be aware of the coolness of the Zendo first thing in the morning when that Coolness is no longer present. There's nothing about the kind of being that I am that isn't dependent upon the environment in which I find myself in. There's nothing about it that isn't subject to change. In fact, the kind of being that I am is wholly dependent upon the environment in which I find myself in. I wouldn't be as I am right now were not all of you here. And the same thing for all of you is what I'm offering you to consider this morning. So the takeaway is not only that you are empty, but also all of these parts that make up you are empty. It's not as though these five categories have some existence unto themselves. We're bundles of bundles, we're aggregates of aggregates. Another way of saying this is that it's emptiness all the way down. All the way down. Even to emptiness. Emptiness itself is not a thing. It's not a kind of thing. 
So sometimes we say emptiness is empty of emptiness. We'll try that again. Emptiness is empty of emptiness. The wonderful Chinese scholar of Buddhist teachings, Red Pine, describes emptiness this way. And this might help you start to get at least a little bit of a grasp of this idea. Emptiness does not mean nothingness. It simply means the absence of the erroneous distinctions that divide one entity from another, one being from another being, one thought from another thought. Emptiness is not nothing. It's everything, everything at once. In another word, emptiness means indivisibility. Still difference, but not separation. We can carve the world up into all sorts of ways, and there is a purpose to that, and it can be useful. But I caution you against thinking that those distinctions have a real fundamental place. It's a wonderful thing, I find, that our existence is this way, empty in this way. Because as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, it means you can't be stuck. You can feel stuck, for sure, and I feel stuck plenty of times. But it also means that liberation is always possible. And I go farther and say that liberation is always happening because nothing holds you back to the way you were in the previous moment. Everything is continually, constantly changing. Emptiness is liberation in every single moment. And I think that's enough. So I'll leave it there this morning. Thank you.